Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com slash support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to Subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. I think we ought to discuss the bonus situation. Right. Brett and right. I, we think we ought to, we deserve full shares, right, right baby? You see, Mr. Park and I feel that the bonus situation is... Move! Get out of there! George, move! Dad! Move, Dad! Move, Dad! Get out! You're listening to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I'm Patrick, and today we're joined by a contributing host, Christian Motzka, as well as our beloved returning guest, Mr. Philip Kennedy Johnson of Marvel Comics. How you doing, my friend? What's up, guys? I'm awesome. Thanks for having me back. So before we go into the episode tonight, this is a quick warning to people. We just got this issue and read it. If you haven't read up through issue number six of Marvel's Alien, pause the episode Go to your comic store, preferably, and buy it, or you can go get it online digitally at Marvel, but read up on it first, because since we have Philip here today, we really want to get into spoiler territory. We want to ask questions. We want to go through some of the motivations behind what we saw, and uh, we don't want to waste that opportunity. So pause it if you haven't read it yet, but if you have read it, stick around and join us, because uh, we are here to officially talk about the first complete arc of Marvel's uh, Alien. So with that, how you doing tonight, Philip? I'm great, dude. Things are going well. Staying busy, but otherwise very well. You're super busy. We were just talking about that. You're up to a lot of stuff, huh? Yeah, it's been nuts, but it's been really great. I can't complain. All the stuff we're working on is super exciting. And I, I mean, I love, I legit love every property I'm writing right now, so I can't complain about a thing. That's great. Christian, let's uh, let's start with you. What are yeah, your man. initial thoughts? I'm dying to hear what you guys think of this book. Oh, yeah, what, 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 are, what, are your, what are your initial thoughts on, on issue six and everything prior to that as well? So a six-issue series of aliens, I have to wonder, you know, what, what are we going to try to accomplish right off the bat? And in retrospect, it really is much more of a character study than I was expecting. I think you were going to hit the ground with, this is the, you know, the, the Phillips version of the alien universe, and I'm going to give you every single detail. And you didn't do that at all. Instead, you, like episode one, issue one, I should say, definitely gave us a flavor of where we are, you know, what the time period is, what the political situation is. But right off the bat, we're, we're with this one character. And when you killed him off in the sixth issue, it's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We, this is a personal story. This is a redemption arc. Um, there's a lot going on there. And boy, by the end of it, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. I was really, really happy. Oh, thanks so much, man. I'm super stoked to hear that. I really, uh, it did kind of suck to kill off Gabe Cruz. I, I really like <laughs> the character. He's not like, he's not as easy to root for as some other characters we've seen in the movies, but um, I don't know. He meant a lot to me. He's like, he's damaged and he's, you know, he's got things about him that I relate to and um, things about him that I'm afraid of. And I don't know. It's like, I really, I cared about the character a lot. 
and it sucked to kill him off. But it all, it always kind of makes made sense that we would though. Like I, at one point there was a stage in the in the writing where I was like, man, could we could we pull it around? Could we? Uh-huh. Is there a way we could save him? And it just kind of didn't land like it did with the uh, with him sacrificing himself to save his kid. You know, it really was all about you know him saving. You know, having the choice between his like what where's his legacy you know is it his son that he abandoned or is it this thing that he gave his life and career and everything about himself to to study and develop you know this the alien thing his his legacy is the xenomorph uh the xenomorph, specifically the xenomorph in the hands of whale and Yutani. that's that's his contribution that's how the he's how they got the xenomorph it's so, not only his legacy it's kind of his other child exactly yeah <laughs> So yeah, he's <clears throat> yeah. So he's both of these things are his kids, his literal kids, kind of. And meanwhile, like he's also got like, but the alpha is also trying to save its own young too. Like his his son Danny represents his offspring, but also the, the future of the, of the yeah. alien. They're both like they're both playing mama bear, and it's like this big tug of war with Danny. So it it, uh, it made sense that both of them would you know kind of sacrifice themselves for the survival of their young. Well, then what you introduced with, with Iris, the, the character reveal of who she is, but also what she represents. And it gave you a, a fantastic moment to really double down on what I think you've presented in the past as, as your, your vision of what the alien represents in this universe of sort of the, if you rise up too high, this thing is just going to steamroll right over you. And the idea that these, um, these free, um, artificial people, would see this as an opportunity. You know, I think she uses some sort of a phrase about um, clearing the earth of, of, of living beings or something like that. It was like, wow. Iris was meant to be, um, yeah, the kind of the payoff to this other, this other Android um, subplot and kind of seeding the future of that subplot, you know, like I, the androids are, have always been one of the coolest aspects of the alien franchise for me. I love the, the contrast between the aliens and the, and the development of the Android over time. And um, I want the Android, the, the, the two big subplot, well, two of the big subplots I want to explore in my run is uh, one, the development of the androids over time. And also the um, conflict between Will and Yutani and the, the nations of earth, like as now like the, the UA. Um, I, I love the idea of the corporation that gets so big, it, it outgrows the concept of, of sovereign nations, you know, and I wanted to so, uh, see that start to take hold. And I want to see um, androids as their own thing and see where they could go as well. I have super big plans for that. So Iris was kind of the, the seed that will hopefully grow into this really kick-ass plot for uh, in the, the third arc specifically. Nice. Iris was uh, was like one of these characters who, at the outset of issue one, I like didn't even notice her because she was just like this, you know, girlfriend who was also yeah. sort of, you know, in this movement. And then it's like reveal after reveal after reveal after reveal with her. And each one makes her more interesting. And it, to the point where towards the end of issue six, I mean, she's like e- easily one of the most compelling parts of this book for me. I think that her whole spiel that we'll get into more later about Prometheus's fire is like really stuck with me. I want to read that actually, if it's okay. Yeah, please. You know, as she's, as, as she's <clears throat> turning off, she says, Always remember that it was you, Cruz, okay? Of all goddamn humanity's countless billions, you found Prometheus's fire, and you carried it home. 
Remember that when your world burns down. Fucking great writing, first of all. Thanks, but dude. also it, it it elevates this it, it like, you know, it's something that I've I've enjoyed about your book from the beginning is it's you set up a lot of situations that alien fans are used to so we can form assumptions about them and then you kind of play with those assumptions quite a bit. So we saw that, you know, we talked last time you were on, or a couple times ago about how in issue one, you know, we were kind of ready to be like shitting all over Wayland Yutani, and then you kind of humanized a lot of people in it and, and we were kind of thrown off by it, right? Likewise with this, you know, we think that and, and another early fake out in that way was this, you know, f- this movement, this anti Wayland Yutani movement, you know, which ended up being really violent and having all these other, you know, angles to it, which then is now in this final issue actually been it's been we can talk about this because I have questions about it, but it's it's the, the this Android movement has either fueled that anti Wayland movement or it's co-opted it or it's infiltrated it or some somehow now these are linked up for the purposes of, of this book. And uh, and now like the the thing that emerges from it is this idea of, you know, Android liberation of of almost replicants, right? Of this idea that that there are free androids out there i mean i definitely pray at the the altar of ridley scott and i i like the uh, you're right it feels like a kind of a blade runnery thing <clears throat> and yeah they the the androids in my in my mind i okay I, I love that sometimes readers can take things from stories that the that the writers didn't put in there so hopefully i'm not spoiling anyone's story by giving my take on it but the way i imagined it as i wrote it was um so there's this um there's the minute hand that is this this anti-corporate movement, a kind of a kind of a terrorist organization, but it's funded kind of by the UA, or it's suggested the UA is kind of supporting them because they want Wayne Tiny to go down too. So that's who Danny is signed up with. But within that that movement, there's also this secret Android movement, like free free synth movement as well, that have kind of co-opted the sec- the minute hand for their own to, for their own purposes, and so. To the to the UA and to the minute hand, she's a you know one of them, like one of their like Antifa or whatever you want to call them. She's one of those guys that's trying to take down this gigantic awful corporation. But you know she actually has this hidden agenda even from them. So like me, she's she's the she recruited Danny into the minute hand, um, and then took these other recruits of hers. These other people, you know, they're all you know they're all buddies up there with this secret agenda and. Um, you know, I like the idea of not showing her real hand until the end. That would then seed stuff for future arts. But I'm really glad to hear you said that. Say that you kind of ignored Iris until later because that was always the hope. You know, like I'm, yeah, I'm, to the point where when she shows up again <laughs> in like issue three or something, I, I was like, oh, what's this character still doing? Like, I'm, yeah, I'm like not invested in this <laughs> right. character at all. Totally. But I, I, love, I love that. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I um, she was. <laughs> there was one thing that didn't make it into the art, and I can't remember why. I think. There was a logo at some point. There was a. This is kind of off topic, I guess. But there was. Um, so in the in the first issue, they um, they they catch that uh, the scientist lady um, and the younger intern in the lab. They're supposed to be like there for the purposes of sex. Like they're they're they're, <laughs> they're there, kind of like making out and disheveled. And the dude had this this t shirt on that had like a, a weird little cartoony um logo on it <clears throat> and then when we see iris later hiding in the closet she's got that lab coat and she's and she's wearing that same t-shirt 
Mm. And oh, so, yeah. And then, so that's when it's like, uh, there's this great line that I liked um, where Cruz has got the gun on her later. It's like, a, you know, so-and-so used to, used to wear that stupid shirt every day or something like that. There was, was all these little, little character things that didn't make it in. I think it was because somebody was afraid that the logo was going to get pinged for copyright or something. Uh, so they were like, eh, just make it a great t-shirt. Ah. <laughs> Some, somebody in licensing knocked it out of there. Uh, but I mean, it wasn't a big deal, but it was something I, it was just a moment that I liked. I like to see Iris in the shirt of this dude that she got killed, you know? <laughs> That's uh, awesome. But I, the thing about Iris that I really wanted to come through, the thing that should have made that should have made the reveal at the end shocking is that she's like the most human of them, like the most human character in there. Like she gets super ragey and super emotional and super like she's she clearly like really cares about Danny and very attached to him and um you know blows that poor guy away at the beginning or that and that lady too. The uh you know the the fire guard guys, they're like the ones who were just sitting there talking about grocery stores. Grocery shopping away. Danny's like, what the fuck, dude? And she's like, come on, she was reaching. It's okay. Um I wanted her to be this be this fire like this real firebrand. And then at the end, we, we see this, you know, supposedly emotionless thing. And she's so, like, proud of being more than human rather than less. Everything about her. Like, she's presumably she and Danny have been boning. And she's, you know, and he can't tell that she's a synth. Even Gabriel says that. <laughs> yeah, like, They've yeah, been yeah, together. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, I really, I wanted her to, I wanted just to let the reader know, like, they're like us now. Like, they're, they're not less than us anymore. They're, they're more. And that's going to pay off in a future arc, I hope. I'm so sorry to have missed that t-shirt because I'm obsessive about those little details of, you know, what else is this world like outside of clone rings and aliens? I love that stuff. I really it hurt my heart to see it gone. And that note didn't get through until after I was already done with it. I was like, where'd the shirt go? <laughs> and that, as it, when it happened, there was a, there was a line in there about the shirt. And I was like, stop the press. There's a line about the shirt. Now that doesn't make sense. We got to fix it. Hmm. So anyway, I digress. It was okay. It's not a huge deal, but yeah, it's just one of those little things like you. I like the little details. Next time we see you at a signing or something, uh, do me a favor, just with marker, just draw the, the logo. <laughs> I will, just just I will. to like, and let, you know, give us a little bit of believability. Actually, I sincerely will. I'll go back and find an early copy that so I had it in there and I'll show you what it was. And oh, it, might have, it might have been a ripoff. I don't know. I, I, it was not a logo <laughs> I'd ever seen before. I got the impression that uh, Salva made it up, but That's they funny. caught it in those. It wasn't the Mickey Mouse logo? yeah <laughs> see that would have been okay right <laughs> yeah, maybe we should have done that i don't know yeah technically mm-hmm. going back to iris for a second to me there's this there's this eternal sort of back and forth with people who who have you know more issues with covenant than things that they like about it versus people uh-huh. who have i don't think anybody out there treats covenant like it's a perfect film right but if the people who like it like like myself yeah, me too. Like, yeah, and you too. Like certain things in it, like a lot. And one of the things that I like in it a lot is this notion between Walter and David of, you know, an oppressed tool, you know, versus an imaginative creator and like who, who determines, you know, who has the right to tell you what you can be. Right. You know, which leads to questions about is what makes us human our faulty programming? Do our idiosyncrasies mean that we're real, et cetera, et cetera? That's something that uh, I, I guess for one thing, I'm, I'm curious, and you won't know yet because this book just dropped. 
uh, if there's been pushback on that. But I'm predicting there will be because there's a lot of people who say, for example, that like those themes don't belong in Alien, right? That like that those themes oh, should be in, in Blade Runner or something. So what what would you say to people who might say that? Oh man, I just I think it's one of the stronger aspects of that of that movie. I mean, like I, I <clears throat> the I mean, love it or hate it, the android is a huge part of this. This is a huge part of this world, and um, and I personally love it. I love the I mean, I love the way they made a bigger deal out of it in Prometheus. Um, okay, for example, so in the first movie, I feel like I'm talking to people who, for once, know more about the shit than me. So maybe you'll have a different take on it. But I am. Um, in that first movie, when you're just, it's the sequence of mind blowing moments, just one after the next, after the next. You see the derelict, you see the face huggers, you see the, I mean, the space jockey and the face huggers and the, the dinner scene, and then you see the thing growing up. And it, like, there's all these. And, and one of those is when, uh, when Ash flips up, you see his goddamn head come off. And you're like, what is happening? Cause it, it doesn't seem, see, in that movie, it doesn't seem to have much to do with what's happening. Except right. you see that the that the company is so much more embedded in their world than they realize. <clears throat> Between Mother and Ash, they're just really just moving them around like chess pieces. But in Prometheus, is when you really see the the alien and the android all kind of come together into one cohesive story. For me personally, where um, Wayland has created life like this, you know, flawed version of life in David. And in his search for more life for himself, discovers this whole other is in an indirectly responsible for the discovery of this other, like this perfect organism, right? And you've got this this compare and contrast situation where you you've got you know, um, you know, David kind of has this this weird like daddy issues stuff with uh, with Wayland and with Wayland's daughter and then the, the alien like this just makes it so much more rich and interesting like the concept of just the questions of life and where we come from and what life is Prometheus is where all those things come together for me so yeah to me I mean the android is now just an indelible part of this mythology and you, you just got to have it it's not it just doesn't feel like alien without it for me and um and I, I really wanted to see that same kind of contrast the covenant kind of contrast with Iris, where beforehand, when she sees Bishop, she's like offended by him. She's disgusted by Bishop. And she just mm. is constantly insulting him, like, ah, oh, you're so fucking lame. Like the whole time they're together, like, you just, I don't, you know, I don't hate you. I you disgust me or you, you know, offend me. I can't remember what she says exactly, but right. she's just so, she sees like, she sees what she's afraid that she is. You know, like she doesn't want to be just this thing that some asshole made. And in Bishop, she sees this company tool and she just, it's, it's like this reflection that just makes her feel just gross, you know? And then at the end, she kind of explains it like, you know, Bishop, you're, you know, you should have been beautiful. And like, she you kind of get a sense of what she was thinking the whole time that she was running them down. Hmm. I think that's an important part of this. So that's, that's how I feel about it. There's an interesting subtext in Aliens that Lance Henriksen brought to it where he felt like literally Bishop is a slave that he played him in that way where he's always so polite because any one of these people could turn him off, could shut him down. And, and, you know, there'd be no consequence to that. So he plays it in this very, you know, it's a, it's a personal choice and it probably comes from Cameron's script, but I feel like it, it it's, it's subtext in aliens. Whereas when you get to Prometheus and covenant, it becomes much more in the forefront of what we're talking about. 
I'm not a huge Covenant fan, and I'm not a huge fan of the idea that David created the alien. However, that aspect, is, I agree. yeah, but there is a beautiful symmetry when you look at how both Ash, for nefarious reasons, and Bishop, for somewhat you know idealistic reasons, they really are interested in the alien. They are interested in in life, but there's the possibility that what they're seeing is a little echo of what they are. Like they see a little bit of an android in this thing because an android supposedly made it if you go with that. So that's kind of a, you oh, know, that's an interesting take. I think, I, I guess in my mind, the, the synths see the, the xenomorph as a, as a, um, as a thing to be achieved, like a thing to strive for, like it's the perfect organism. Right. And they're technically not alive at all. So they see that as this, this beautiful, this beautiful, perfect thing to try to, to strive to be like, I guess, in a way. Um, I mean, not all of them, of course, Bishop, Bishop doesn't feel that way, but I mean, in, in theory, I mean, David certainly sees it as like this, this beautiful living thing, like his own, his own child or in a, in another way, kind of this thing that he wishes he could have been. Um, to Iris, it represents this, this beautiful weapon to use to achieve their aims. Like they're just going to kind of cutting to the end, the end point of this equation where, you know, they, they seem to know more about the alien than we do. And they know that there have been other life forms out there that have, who have, have sought it. Have, yeah. yeah, have reached a certain level of advancement that they also discover the accelerant and then they, you know, they find the alien and all that. So the, um, the other thing I was going to say is that I, um, I reject the notion that David created the, the aliens. I mean, obviously he does in the film, but we also, in Prometheus, we see the, the boss relief on the wall, the, uh, the deacon. The deacon, right? yeah. Right. Yeah, it looks like the deacon. So this is, the idea is not, un, is not unknown to them. And surely, if they've got, if they got such a good handle on the accelerant, they must have experienced this thing. At some point, they would have had to have seen a deacon before, not just for the boss relief, but, I mean, it doesn't make sense that they wouldn't have. So, I, I mean, yeah, in that case, David was dicking around on that planet and figured out how to make them. But I feel like, well, I mean, it's proven. Like Prometheus shows us that it's already been around. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I want to say is is always my argument when people say like it's so it's so ridiculous that David created it, but but he didn't create it because the same people who made or many of the same people who made the previous film already contradicted that with the boss relief on the wall, right? And allowed that to be in the movie, and it's also in your comic book. Which, by the way, that was yeah. a moment where I got like chills. I was like, oh fuck, it's the ampules. It was so cool. But yeah, that, I, I yeah. was really trying to hit it hit it home, like. Because I mean, I, I I've always seen the alien as as that thing, like the way the way that uh, Iris describes it as this thing that is waiting for us to stick our head up so they can fucking kill us. Um, that's how I've always seen them, this unknowable ancient thing that's always been there. So, like Christian said, <laughs> when I saw David kind of just pull one out of his hat, I was like, well, shit. But uh, but then the thing on the wall again, that kind of to me that that cleansing fire now that's waiting for us is not necessarily the alien; it's the the accelerant that you know brings out all these different expressions of death you know so for us it's the xenomorph and um you know there's other other forms that it takes of course but that's the the cleansing fire i just i like the idea that the engineers didn't create that stuff that they found it you know like and like everyone else it killed them you know through through us sort of but you know they found this thing and they were going to kill us with it and instead it bit them on the ass now they're all gone uh, the same as it eventually will be all gone.
Patrick, on when we did that first, actually, it was after I, I listened to your show because I, you know, I listened to your show long before we actually recorded together. There was we actually, actually uh, after you reviewed the issue, um, I think you mentioned the um, the hybrid that you see on page two, the female. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I was hoping we're going to talk about that tonight. Yeah. It right. looks like Lee, the Lee Tobler artwork yeah. that Yeager did back in the day. Um, and I was like, oh, I wish I could tell him what this thing is because it's not it's not meant to be because people online thought it was the alpha. And I could and looking back, I could see why they would think that. But um, yeah, I wanted it to be this this mysterious thing that might happen, not like a thing that that Cruz saw, you know. Um, and it, yeah, it represents that thing represents Cruz's legacy, basically, like because you've done this thing, because you brought Prometheus's cleansing fire home. This is going to be the end, the end point of that trajectory. You have killed humanity through humanity's own greed for this thing. Like they're going to try to make a weapon out of it. They'll fail. They'll try to bond with it. And then you're all going to die. So the, so the, the art, uh, Giger's artwork, um, you know, the Lee Tobler inspired artwork that Giger did becomes the, the end point of what the xenomorph can be. I, I, I absolutely love that. And, and that's something I really wanted to touch on tonight because that was something that I, and I think many others were kind of like, Oh, what's he doing with this? I know. This alien no, lady. In retrospect, people, I did not expect, and I should have expected it looking back in retrospect, you know, hindsight and all that. But I, um, I did not expect it to look monster like they did. And they were like, but jumping the shark is he's fucking all up. It looks like the thing from species. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I didn't expect the, the, uh, the, the outcry. And I was like, oh man, people are pay- putting way too much weight on this. Yeah. But it's, you know, soon they'll all be out in trade. They can read the whole thing and they'll see. But yeah. <laughs> it was right. one thing, I can see how it would be a little stressful in, in retrospect. One of the variant covers for this issue, uh, which I don't have, but I will hopefully find, is by Jay Anacleto. And it's a beautiful, different take on this same, uh, you know, this this apparition. Yeah. Where, I didn't know we uh, were doing it. I, did, I found out about it when I saw it in the PDF. Oh, you really? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. It's beautiful and, and it's very haunting. And I think, uh, like to me, that really gets at what you're going for. But what's so fascinating about this is there's this wonderful sense of simultaneous coldness and warmth with so much of this stuff, which is like, you know, our our demise is wrapped up in this entire thing, as is the demise of every other civilization that's ever touched it, like you said, right? But it also like reveals all these potential, you know, mysteries about ourselves and these secrets. And it tells us where we came from, supposedly. And it, you know, allows us to build great things and to achieve great things and to be stronger and better and more infinite. And yet it also means our our end, you know? And so she, I think, is really striking because because she's sort of human looking, right? And right. yet she's clearly not. And it reminds me a lot of some of Dane Hallett and Matt Hatton's artwork from the conceptual stuff for Covenant, where they're drawing out, you know, all the different things that could have happened to Shaw. Yeah. Uh, and that artwork, I think, is so fascinating. And I remember I specifically- We're going to see that shit again, too. Like, I want to see as much Giger as possible in this series. In the lead up to Covenant, I remember seeing those little conceptual shots and being so intrigued in a way that I hadn't been in a long time. And and your comic is touching that same little nerve in me again, where I'm like, 
it's about the issues behind the issues. It's about the things that are under, underneath these tropes that underpin them, you know, the reasons why they mean something to us. And, and the fundamental nihilism that like, we want to, we want to say it's just because like we're in danger because we're being chased, but it's actually like we're chasing ourselves. Like we're eating our tail and we can't, we can't tell yet, you know? Yeah. And I think that's really, really all, all borderline antinatalist, but not quite really interesting. <laughs> stuff. Well, thanks, man. Yeah. I, I also noticed that piece that really struck me first. I was like, uh, where the hell did this come from? But, it, but yeah, it's beautiful. And I love how it turned out. And, um, yeah, I just, I wanted the whole thing to feel like some, some of the other comics I've not loved. I just felt like they strayed too far from the, it doesn't feel like you're in a Giger painting anymore, you know? And I, I wanted that always, that's what struck me so much about the first one. And in some, some ways, the second and third as well, but especially the first one where you just feel like you're in, you know, Giger. Like it's just, and uh, um, there's more, more and more of his work that I, that I love that I want to try to find ways to work in, not necessarily specific pieces, but also just the vibe of it. It's that, yeah, the nihilistic quality and the, like the, sexual grossness and the like the way like the stuff you said about shaw and covenant i mean that was so upsetting to see but so beautiful too kind of and i want to it just felt so much like something eager would have done um so i want to see more and more of that in, in the in the series so i'm going to be bringing that out as much as i can nice well speaking of shaw i just want to say about covenant clearly the different the different art that we see and then we see her body and then the story that is told to us by david he lies he lies and he lies and he lies so when he says that he built the alien or created the alien he's lying that's just that's his, in his nature he takes credit for things that are not his yeah so, absolutely yeah, he's, he's a blowhard and he also and I, I this is something else that i think is really telling about covenant the, that the the xenomorph you know the alien that emerges from it is not the xx121 that we see everywhere else for one thing, it's not biomechanical, right? So from an aesthetic standpoint, it clearly reads different on screen. From the way that it acts, it's much more primal. It's much more like atavistic. It, it doesn't have the sort of cunning that the alien has that the big chap becomes. It mm -hmm. acts different. And that's on purpose, I think. I don't think that they're making it stupid. If, and, and this is also honestly why I have switched camps at some point in the last couple of years where I don't want, I don't really want to see a third prequel movie because I don't want that answer to be given to me and to be like, Oh my God, David did create the alien and Prometheus was just like, you know, anti not canon. Like I, I like this idea that David was creating this facsimile of the alien and it was not great because he wasn't great, you know, because he didn't actually create it. And that that's something that I take comfort in a little bit. Gotcha. Yeah. I, third movie it's a, it's a it's a risk <laughs> like I, yeah. I, would, I would love it to be if it was if it was like the perfect thing i would love that i mean i'm always gonna, i'm never gonna say no to an alien movie but um yeah you're right i mean if it if it does kind of like close the book and make it and you know try to really triple down on on david doing this then yeah i guess that would be that would be a tragic ending to this whole thing but we'll see we'll see what they do i'm very hopeful for the show i hope the show goes the way i want it to and uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. It's sort of funny how when Alien Resurrection came out, which we, you know, we don't like that movie, but whatever. It, it's 200 years in the future, and one of the characters specifically says that Ripley killed off the alien. There's no more aliens anywhere in the universe. And it was such a gut punch, and it was just, it was cheap. It was just for that movie's plot. Like, okay, well, we, we have to bring Ripley back so that somehow, improbably, she can also have the aliens still inside her, even though she's a clone. So... To let that go has been a blessing, but then to have the prequels come in and say, oh, and by the way, this is all only 30 years old. Like, why are you doing this? You know, stop, stop limiting the scope when 
when Cain descends into that egg chamber and geometry hardly even makes sense, like the, the way that the ship or whatever the, the, the egg chamber branches out doesn't even match the shape of the ship. You're, you're, you're in a nightmare and you're in Giger's nightmare in particular. You've entered one of his paintings. You know, the, the, the space jockey chamber is almost like you, you haven't quite gone in fully, but once you descend, oh my God. And nothing has quite reached that in the movies. And so I love the idea that you want to go back to that kind of imagery and that kind of evocative quality. And I'm one of the people who, when I saw that, the lady on page two, it's like, oh man, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure what's going on here. And then when Alpha was revealed, I'm like, oh, okay. His brain couldn't comprehend what Alpha was and made it look like a lady. That's fine. I'm good. And so then in the last issue, like, oh, no, no, there's Alpha and there's still the lady, but she's way cooler. <laughs> you know, you, you totally, um, whether you meant to or not, you did a, a, a one-two punch on me. We're like, okay, all right, all right. I, I, I can take this first blow. It's going to be okay. And then the second one, like, oh, man. So I'm very, very excited about the idea of an ancient universe with the alien itself as part of it. So. Yeah, I the third arc specifically, if I get to do, I mean, who knows? Like they, they, they move creative teams around, you know, largely based on sales. And if, uh, if things continue to go well, they're going great right now. If that continues, hopefully I'll get my third arc. And that is when we get to, into stuff like the ancient universe you're talking about and like the, you know, Prometheus is cleansing fire and the, the potential for the, for the alien and our part and everything. And also the, like a lot of Android stuff too. I mean, the third arc is going to be like some cool shit and I'm going to try to, get a longer, like a significantly longer arc for that one. Cause I, there's a lot I want to do with it. So, anyway. well, I really hope that happens. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Thanks. Me too. I think, I think it will. I think I'm pretty optimistic. It's going extremely well so far. Um, so I think, I think we're going to do a third arc and uh, I think it's going to be super badass. I want it to be more like an event, you know? Yeah. Not, not that it's going to be like not alien versus fantastic four or anything. I mean, I just want it to be like, <laughs> a, like, uh, you know, not, not just a, another arc. I want it to be more of a, like a, a real tent pole kind of thing. So if sales equal readership, obviously um, you're reaching a huge number of people. What's on average, how many, how many people are reading these issues? Do you have that, that kind of number? Actually, I don't know. Last time I asked, I hadn't, I have not heard back from the last time I asked those, those numbers don't just come to me. I have to kind of like give them a nudge, like, Hey, how'd this one sell? Okay. And, uh, and Comicron is not as useful as, as it was, as far as knowing what, what books are selling because of the way that uh, the um, yeah distribution has gotten much more diverse now, right? A little more complicated, so it's harder to at least <laughs> harder for me at least to know um, how many issues are selling. But I mean, sure. I, I mean, the, I know. I mean, the first one sold like it sold out of three hundred k super fast, and then it went back for second printing, and that sold out too. There's no number ones to be had, as far as I know. That's crazy. Yeah, dude, and number two sold out too. Which is, which means that even because I mean they have this whole, they can you know kind of predict what books are going to sell like how how fast the attrition rate will be, just based on history you know like how how I mean people how many fewer people will buy number two and three and four, and um, it number two outperformed expectations as well, so I think it's still super healthy. And and so your philosophical statement in in issue six in particular I mean that's that's going to get broadcast out there. With, with Marvel and with Fox and everything on that, like this is a statement by, you know, the people who own Alien of what Alien can be. And I'm very happy we're, we're, with where that puts the IP. 
Yeah, thank you. I really hope that the the people making the the film and or excuse me, the TV show and uh, and the games and everything else that comes out. I really want this to be a, like on their radar, part of their equations going forward. I want it to be part of that world. Um, and I'm hopeful that it will be. I think they will pay attention and, and hopefully see, you know, questions like we're talking about, like, did David do this or not? I mean, to me, it, David definitively, definitively did not create the alien. He, he, he created an alien, but there, there were others long before him and the accelerant, um, whereas it's often thought of as a creation of the engineers. I prefer to think of it as being this ancient thing that predates them. Um, so if those, if those ideas hold, it just makes the world so much bigger and older and, you know, super exciting to me. Uh, speaking of games, Philip and Christian, <laughs> this airs the day after Fireteam Elite finally comes out. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I just want to say, I hope everybody's playing that. There's going to be a lot of coverage coming on that shortly. I, I just received it on my, at my doorstep. I pre-ordered it and I got, I, I, I almost never pre-order games, but I pre-ordered this shit. I cannot wait to crack it open. Oh, I'm so excited about it. But again, in, so in this case, though, there was th- th- this was a game that you uh, so you were writing alongside the team that was writing the game, but not in not in collaboration with each other at all. Right. This was right. a separate product. Yeah, right? a separate thing. Do you know if uh, if there are plans going forward to better integrate any of these different creative streams or is this something that, you know, I hope so. Um, you hope so. Be perfectly frank. There was not quite as much interaction as I would have liked. I mean, with, with other like media while it was going, going, all going down because everyone's super, I mean, right now, especially they're just, everyone's really afraid of leaks. So I did get some, basically I would ask questions and some questions would come back with answers. Um, cause I'm just very paranoid about stuff getting, you know, disproven down the road. And I just really don't want this to happen. I want these comics to be canon forever, you know? Um, and I didn't, I did not always get answers to my questions. And I feel like there, there are all these, um, roadblocks in place to make sure that secrets don't get leaked uh, and that is, that is kind of getting in our way but um but i'm constantly testing those fences and i still you know hope to to be working more in especially now i mean now that the first arc has done so well sales wise and been you know well received as well um i'm optimistic that at some point we'll start to get a little more cross-pollinization with the other teams cool um, I want to go back to something you said a long time ago at the outset of this interview. We were talking about Gabriel and about how I, I similarly was heartbroken, but also happy for him in a, in, a, in a way that he got to go out the way that he did. Um, and I, I want to commend you on writing, I think, a really effective death sequence for him. I think that, you know, what he saw at the end was that was really that really stuck with me. That was powerful. Um, okay. I'm wondering, uh, you, you said earlier that you there are things in Gabriel that you're afraid of or that 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 scare you. Can you talk a little bit about like his character and how, you know, you, you see him? Yeah, sure. I am. (laughs) It's been funny seeing the reaction. There's a lot of people who've been super supportive online about this whole, this whole story. And I, it's been really humbling for for all the support. Um, There've been some other people who just hate the shit out of Cruz and and hate what he represents. Cause the fact that, um, I mean, even in like the, the alien like Bible thing that they sent me, from Fox, like here are all the things that make Alien what it is. One of them was female protagonist. And the reason I, I mean, what, the very first thing I thought of when I was writing the story is it's got to be a guy. And the reason is that Ripley is the most badass action hero ever. And just such a consummate 
movie star. Like, I just love the character of Ripley like everyone else does. She's amazing. And and I, I think Shaw is very compelling, too. I mean, it's super different, like very, like, you know, curious and positive and, you know, f- you know, faithful. And it's very, very different, but super compelling and strong. Um, it would be really hard to come up with a female character that did not get compared to those two and probably unfavorably. Because, I mean, it's a comic. You can't have, you can't capture the, you know, just the, the badassery and the charisma of Scorny Weaver in a comic book. It's, it's just Scorny Weaver just, just oozes all that stuff. I wanted, um, plus we'd, we'd never seen a good take, not a good take, but a, like a, a very in-depth take in Waylon Yutani. I mean, you see the guy, you know, there's the one character in, in the 86 movie, but you don't see much of the inner working. So I wanted to show a whole different perspective um, with, uh, you know, a, a company man um, that would, you know, just be judged on his, on his own merits as a character. Uh, so as I'm writing this, I'm also writing Superman. And he's like, you know, in the comics these days, he's a father. And he's basically the, the perfect father. I write him as the father I would aspire to be. And Cruz is kind of like this, the flip side of that, where he, you know, really failed his family in a way. He, 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 chose, he chose work over, over family to this really crazy degree where he um one of his kids died at the fault of the, of his of the company that that pays him and when he came back and did this amazing thing for them he he kind of gave them his blessing to sweep it under the rug because it, it to do otherwise would have jeopardized this amazing discovery that he's a huge part of uh it loses his family as a result other son is estranged. He's like this nightmare situation for me as a father. I myself am a father. Um, and it's like my worst nightmare. What could happen as a dad, right? Um, so yeah, I, I, I make sure I, I mean, as busy as I am, and I, you know, I'm, as much of these energy drinks got flown through my veins, I make sure that every day I put in time with my son, no matter what. I mean, no matter fucking what, because I, I will not be that, I, I won't live my life that way. Um, so yeah, Cruz represents that, that danger of what, what could happen, you know, um, just that, that work-life balance. So I'm also a father as is Christian. So this is, yeah. this is dad talk, the alien. No, I love seeing, actually, <laughs> side note, I love seeing you guys' pictures. It's always cool to see you guys. Well, uh, you too. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're, we're all, you know, proud nerdy dads who are very involved in our kids' lives. Um, and I think that uh, initially, the, I, I did hear some of you know the white noise about how this there were a lot of male characters in this, and there were some people who had complaints about that. Um, I, I didn't because th- th- it's nice to have diversity in ev- in everything, and and sometimes in a wonderfully uh, you know different way, like diversity in, in Alien, you know, sometimes means having having men in it. Uh, I, what I love though is that you not only sort of justified that choice. But you emphasize a lot of these things that are unique to men, you know, in the ways in which we communicate with each other, you know, at least the ways in which we're taught to communicate with each other. And specifically, the the trope of fatherhood in this is something that I found really, really powerful throughout um, for the same exact reason that you're saying right now, Philip, which is like the, a huge fear that I have every morning when I wake up and every night when I go to bed is that I'm not going to be here for my kids. Like, I'm not going to. 
I'm not going to break through the veil of all the other shit going on in our lives and make meaningful moments with my children while they're my children and their kids and they're, and they're soaking it up. Right. And so that hangs over Gabriel, this entire series, what happened, you know, with Danny, obviously, but also with his brother and, and in issue five, when we find out what really happened, that like broke my heart. I, issue five, I think I, I, I love issue six, but issue five is my favorite issue. And oh, it's because okay. of that, because Gabriel went from being interesting to me to being somebody that i felt like real affection for and real pain for you know uh and and i think yeah, it's those themes of fatherhood that feel really powerful to me that, yeah, that aren't explored elsewhere really in the alien universe you know yeah thanks I, he's a tragic character for sure he's not i mean people the people that, that want to hate him do but i feel like he's to me he's a tragic character like a, a, a story about what could happen to any of us and i um and i don't think it's going to surprise anyone anyone who reads any of my shit that i've I have, you know, father son issues and like I my relationship with my own dad's super sucked. Like it was it was really complicated and hard and not good. Um and I think because it was so lame, it made me um really protective of my relationship with my own son. Like I, I think about him a lot. And I I mean when he was when he was little, when he was a baby, I would just like sit there and watch him breathe, like, dude, you okay. And we, we would uh, as I'm sure we all do, but I um yeah, I just I'm so protective of my of my relationship with him, and I couldn't think of no bigger tragedy than what happened to to Lucas in there, and to, to have this other son that he also loses then as a result. Um, and yeah, I just to me he's this big tragic figure, like just the the danger of the worst case scenario as a father. Um, so I'm very protective of, of, of Cruz too as a character, and I. I, um, I'm not saying I would never, obviously I can write women too, but I, I just, this, those kinds of themes are so personal for me, uh, father, son stuff. Um, and I knew I wanted it to be a story about legacy and about, you know, your own children versus this, this thing that you help bring into the world. And I, you know, it just made sense between like, since I already knew I wanted to distance this character from somebody as awesome as Ripley, um, and making them a company man too. It just made sense to go all the way and make him like a, a military dad. So that's what he is. There had been a lot of speculation that, uh, that Lucas's death would be tied in with the alien, that there was going to be some, you know, further complication. Yeah. And I was, I'm very happy that it wasn't, but at the same time, it was more of a gut punch that it was a completely realistic mundane thing that, that caused the death. You know what I mean? Sort of yeah. if it had been, well, they took him and they researched with facehuggers and like, oh, well, that's terrible, but that's very alien. And I can, I can close the book and walk away, but negligence and, a, you know, and a, and a, and a, um, a mishap that's, yeah. that's more like, oh God, that <laughs> thanks for playing on the exact fear that I live with <laughs> <Exactly>. every single day. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, exactly. It's something. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's it. I want it to be like a, a thing that actually happens. And like this, you know, corporate negligence and then getting, getting crews to then sign a form saying it's not their fault just felt like the more tragic end, you know. And, it was so hard to read that. It really, it really hurt. I know. Even now saying it out loud, I'm like, oh God, that's gross. But yeah, that's, I want it to be kind not, not Cruz's fault, but for him to be complicit in, in the fallout. And yeah, the, he did the, the wrong thing. He did the wrong thing and he lost his other son as a result. 
and he deserved to and we know that as readers and that's what's so fucking hard because then we're still sort of rooting for him because we're seeing all the pain that he's been through and we're seeing you know that his life was taken from him too right and the issue before that i think he was he was having a hard time accepting that he didn't think that he was going to find danny in that hive yeah. you know he's like oh we'll find some other schmuck and we'll get it we'll and he was being very very you know kind of devil may care about it. like oh we'll find somebody that's got one in and we'll cut it out it'll be fine <laughs> because <laughs> he's like don't you know these people it's like yeah you know get to work you know what's your problem then he sees like ah oh, danny's danny's holed up someplace in the in the you know the arms room or whatever and then he sees him he's got a thing on his face and and that's the moment where everything changes like oh my god i completely failed i've i've completely failed and he's ready to just put one in his face and then you know iris turns him around because she needs it Thanks, man. I, I, I really am proud of that character. And I, uh, I hope, I don't know, I guess I should shut up. I don't know. I'm, I almost spoiled something that's coming up in the second. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, at some point we have to talk about the little tidbits that we've been given about the second arc, uh, but is there more about the first? I, I could talk more about the first arc. There's, well, I have, a qu- I have a question about the first arc that I want to make sure we get, get back around to, which is the alpha. I, I'm, yeah. I'm just curious about, the can, can you fill us in a little bit on that on like the concept also like i i think that the design is freaking sick as fuck for that creature and i want an action figure NECA. no NECA, yep. randy <laughs> um so that's why i want to just bookmark that but also uh, i'm curious like you know did, did so you worked with salvador to design that i'm assuming yes. um can you take us back to like the beginning of like when you knew you were going to have this creature with this weird connection to our protagonist can you explain that connection a little bit and also the design process yeah totally so i all the things i really loved about like so when i, when I was a kid um i guess middle school maybe uh, yeah roughly middle school age so i'd seen alien and i was um you know the first two at least and i was i loved that they looked like I, you know i put it this is before, I didn't have any comics or anything. I lived out in like darkest Kentucky. I didn't have a comic store around. It was like nothing around. I didn't know anything about aliens except those two films. And, um, but you know, the aliens look like humans and it made sense to me that they would look like something else. So they came out of something else. And so I, you know, during geometry class or whatever, I'd be in the back of the class, like just drawing crazy xenomorphs that came out of, you know, eagles or dragons or snakes or whatever I wanted. And, um, and when Alien 3 came out, I just like, I think I just pulled a straight up Tom Cruise Rain Man, like, yeah, <laughs> like, <I saw> that. <laughs> like, it's got four legs. This is so goddamn cool. <laughs> I mean, they made it just for me, you know. Um, and I love seeing, since then, I love seeing all the different takes on Xenomorphs that we've seen in the various comics. Um, now, when they when they approached me about writing the comic, I did the Tom Cruise thing again, <laughs> and then I was like, "What are we gonna do though?" Because I I didn't want to just go crazy off the out of the gate. Because one of the things I thought could have been done a lot better with Dark Horse is that as they went further and further down the road, it felt less and less like the films, and I they just really became to me like a parallel universe, where like there's you know the royal jelly and the the cigar chomping androids xenomorphs and things that didn't make sense to me in the, in the term because i still in my mind's eye I still see the movies um something like salvation i could see you know as, as a film maybe i mean i think patrick i think you mentioned uh labyrinth yeah what what yeah i mean more more recent like dead orbit and dead orbit totally dead orbit was one. so What's his name? The the guy who did Skokie. Skokie. Yeah. Stoko. 
It looks like Stoko to me. Yeah, um, he did Godzilla too. Uh, it, he did Godzilla. I, I want to do a little PSA. Godzilla in Hell. Did you read that, Philip? Oh no, I did not actually. No. Oh my God, it's IDW. Came out like maybe seven years ago, uh, and it is. There are no words in it. It's just a purely pictographic story of Godzilla traversing Dante's Inferno, and it's <laughs> and it's Stoko. Yeah. It's that same guy. It yeah. is fucking phenomenal. And that same. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up, Christian, because Dead Orbit has sort of fallen out of my my mind for some reason but that was a masterpiece and i would love yeah, to see a movie made out of that yes if you guys it so well yeah if you guys pluck those little gems out like you know the salvation labyrinth uh dead orbit that's all you need that they're just they're beautiful little islands and you can just let the rest of it go but what you're talking about philip is you want a continuity that flows the whole way through and that's much more challenging um, i know yeah exactly so i I was very mindful of those missteps and, and not even necessarily missteps as much as just, it just these really, sometimes a very, there'd be a really bold or creative decision that just steps just too far out. And it makes it feel like fan fiction to me. Hmm. And it's, it makes it really challenging because you've got to make it feel like plausible on film in my mind. You should anyway, because to me, it's first and foremost, a film franchise. Um, but it can't be, can't be dull though, you know, like, so how do you, how do you do that? And I, I wanted to make sure that the, the first the first step was not a crazy one. You know, I, I wanted it to feel, you know, kind of pull a force awakens and make it feel very much like the original, you know, or the original two. For me, I, I really tried to to stay on the tightrope between the first two films. We have that same claustrophobia. It feels like Giger. It's, you know, you're trapped in there with the thing. But then you also have the the touchstone visuals of, you know, the marine versus the aliens and you're in the hive and all those things too. Cause that's what everyone wants. When they were telling me what to do at first, they were like, just make it like the Cameron. And I, I really pushed back on that. Cause I, you know, how many times have we seen that shitty video game or it just, it's been overdone in my opinion, not to say that it's never a good story with the Marines in there, but it's, it's been done so much. I really wanted it to be a little more unique. So that's, you know, went the way that we did, but then we talk about the alien. What are we going to do with that? We can't just have the same, you know, just regular ass xenomorph um, again because everyone's seen it and I just feel like there had to be something more and it can't be the mother because, or the, the queen, because we've seen that too. Um, so I started to think about, I got, I just, I just delved into Giger's work and eventually I kind of, you know, there's not really a specific piece that he did like this. I started to kind of visualize a piece that's still very much like, you know, of the xenomorph, but also had this kind of satanic look where it had, it had hooves and it had horns and it's bigger than the others. And it still very much felt like the standard xenomorph, but was like the next, the next half step up, you know, that so that it wouldn't feel like a, like a, a shark jump, like the, the hybrid woman would have been if we'd stuck with that. And the, you know, if that had been a big payoff, it would have been a kind of betrayal in my, in my view. Um, so I wanted to feel like a xenomorph. So we, so I went with the, the hooves and horns and that, you know, starting down that path kind of gave us the, um, the seeds for the origin. The fact that there's these, these big ass goats that are bred for off-road colonies and that those things gave us these, you know, goat-like xenomorphs. And that became kind of the, the stepping stone to the thing that was put in, uh, cruise. And then we get the, the alpha. And that became so cool. kind of the seed. And then, you know, when they, and then of course that one, we have, we have the eggs that are then laid on Epsilon station. And then the next generation of, of Xenos that we see come from humans. Now they're, you know, now they look like the ones that we know.
So you bring up the goats, and I remember <laughs> there's there's a goat hoof in issue one, and I think it's in issue one, and people were losing their minds again, like what? That's not what an alien's foot looks like. Like, just calm <laughs> right. down. Just Everybody's calm down. so cranky all the time. It's insane. Right. Okay, guys. <laughs> you know, and and so when you when you reveal the goats and it's like, oh yeah, they've got livestock. This is this makes sense. If you've seen Alien Three, you know that this is this is part of what can happen. You know, you're shipping stuff to these colonies. But that's also where you introduce the marks on the goats' faces, right? Uh-huh. And I can't. I think this is something we were talking about before we were on the mic, but. Um, the final issue, you've got something going on on that last page with that cat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. are, are you the bastard that has done this to a cat? <laughs> I am. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Finally got a cat alien. Um, <laughs> sorry, dude. Yeah. It, um, yeah. So I really, I wanted uh, the point of this story. I, I didn't, I didn't want it to be just like, good guy, Yeah. Good guys win. And we're back to square one again. I wanted it to be just some kind of a legacy from this park. And the legacy is this is like Cruz is the vessel through which Whale Utani gets a xenomorph. And at the end, the good guys do win until we realize that the cat's got one in it. You know, so that's that is how Whale Utani gets their xenomorph, which leads then to other arcs down the road. So yeah. <laughs> and that and that also I, I like the idea of I mean, kind of like in, in jazz music, I like the, the my favorite improvised solos are the ones that start with a kernel of an idea and then, you know, spin it, spin out of it, spin the entire solo out of that idea, using that as kind of the theme, like the beginning of Beethoven's Fifth. And then at the end, bring it back to the kernel of an idea again at the end. Hmm. Um, so I tried to do that with Iris and I tried to do that with that cat. <laughs> that cat was, uh, we see it run off when Iris kills her first victim like she, she, uh, she oh killed that's where the cat came in that's I, right yeah the I cat's was flipping there. back through the issues i couldn't find it <laughs> yeah and it ran it ran away and it's funny that's actually uh i sus- i don't know this for sure i suspect that is salva's cat um because the that cat was supposed to have a that cat's name is Stubbs. and it's supposed to have a stubby tail hmm. and the fact hmm. that it didn't i suspect that he used a real cat for that book like it was it's a homage to somebody he knows or maybe his own animal i guess right but yeah, he runs off as he's killing the the big dude. <laughs> That's and so. Then, as as soon as I saw that, I was like, I know that cat, but I can't remember where I've seen it before. But it was in the first issue. Yeah, and it, well, we see it again though in um, in the script. He was also in uh, Mitch's apartment. The old guy. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember if he made it in there or not. But he was supposed to be in that room when um, when Cruz kills that dude. Okay. And then he he's definitely in. Um, the in the pod in the the executive pod Harada's right. pod right right yeah. right and of course yeah the rest of it I'm gonna look it up while we're talking <laughs> okay <laughs> I when the first issue came out and I'm looking at Gabriel and all I could think of was Till Lindemann the lead singer of Rammstein <laughs> like is this are they using Rammstein for this you know the, the the German industrial band but no it's the it, you know the artist was was looking in the mirror I'm like okay that's what the guy looks like so <laughs> yeah. I'm glad the, hair, the haircut though is is definitely Rammstein. That's <laughs> yeah, exactly unmistakable. So I, I want to be uh, respectful of your time, Philip, because you're coming on again. I I can't even 
begin to uh I, I, like it's crazy that we haven't talked about music yet because that's something that we're both professionals at outside oh, yeah. of any of this other stuff so one of these times we're going to talk about music because there's a lot of great you know ways to discuss what you're talking about in terms of music right like that you have an aba structure going on with the with this you know bringing back these motifs from the beginning to the end but also um you know the creative process in music is very similar to the creative process in writing at least in my experience and that, that'd be it'd be cool to dive into that in yeah. the future at some point totally let's do that i'd like that side um, note that, that yeah. cat is in issue three in uh, in mitch's apartment you heard it here folks i do want to uh if if we can set up a little bit of the next arc i have to say the cover that is previewed at the end is like first off fucking awesome and uh and i would like to get a lithograph of it but uh also it, it really has me wondering where we're going next can you give us like any kind of high level things about what we can be looking for in the coming months yeah I, I i really want to um so the the second this is this is actually a combination of two different pitches that i gave so i, I when they came to me to do this do alien i was like i know where to be you know where do i begin I, I guess so many arcs i could do of this and i i pitched them a couple of different ones and these these two different pitches kind of coalesced as one story that became what is now alien sanctuary um there were different titles that i kind of mold around in my head originally it was going to be alien um let's see what was it what was it before alien revival is what it was going to be and at one point it was going to be uh old-time religion with this kind of kind of <laughs> um so i ended up going to the sanctuary and it, it fits it's, it's the best title really and which for reasons you'll you'll come to understand but um we have a very different kind of protagonist than we did in cruise for the second issue uh, for the second arc this is a character named Jane, who is sort of back to the female protagonist and much more sympathetic than, than Cruz was. And you've got this, um, this sect of, of faithful called the Spinners, who, have, who are typically persecuted on Earth in the, in the Americas and are actually approached. They have a very old world, almost like Amishy kind of approach to life. And uh, in, in that century is very, very frowned upon and seen as kind of kind of barbaric and they're approached by the ua by the united americas about um managing a terraforming operation on their behalf so like if you want to terraform this moon for us you can you know it'll be annexed to the spinners it'll be like your your salt lake if you if you would do this for us and so they do and so we see you know when we first meet these people they're on this moon terraforming this colony and everything goes horribly wrong. And, and then we see, we start to get into the uh, political stuff that we talked about with Wayne Yutani in the, in the UA. Um, there's, oh man, I can't spoil. Um, this stuff I can't wait for you to see, but the, my favorite part of it though, well, two things. One is that we see a setting that we don't, that we've never seen before. We get to see like an old world alien infestation we've never seen something that feels like Appalachia. You know, I really wanted to see alien in this kind of old world setting that we, that wouldn't, wouldn't make sense typically. Um, so I'm really eager to get, get into that. And I also really like this protagonist. This is somebody who devoted her life to this faith who has a, a disease that's killing her. It's like her, she's, you know, she's being slowly trapped inside her own body and she has to protect her flock from a perfect organism. No, I, lo I love her being the foil for the xenomorph because she's her body is failing and dying and falling apart. And 
and uh, she's she's all they have against the alien. So I'm really proud of this character. I'm really proud of the themes that we explore in this arc. This is a story that I really wanted to do. I wanted this to be the first arc, but I really wanted to, I decided to take a step back and make the first one much more relatable and familiar, you know, to everyone to show where, where we're starting. Um, but this next one is going to give us a, uh, you know, a good step in a, in a new direction without betraying the themes that, that make alien what it is. Oh my God. That sounds so fucking cool. That, Thanks, that, it, it reminds really me of, so in, in the Vincent Ward script, which, which is like my, my favorite thing ever, uh, there's a, a sequence that takes place in a cornfield where there's a fire breaking out and there's a xenomorph running through the corn stalks. Mm. And it reminds me a little bit of the artwork on the front of this thing. And, and that's like a sequence that I've, I've wanted to see more of like ever since I first stumbled across that script in high school or whatever. So the uh. fact that we're going to get to see this like old world setting that you're talking about and see like, you know, aliens in a, in a different context. I, I think that is just awesome. I love the religious aspect. And like, I think that's going to like lend some really cool thematic stuff to talk about. Oh, I'm yeah. just so fucking pumped around this title, man. I, I really, really, Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And I, there's going to be, you guys are going to, especially you, my buggers, there's going to be these little, these little gems in there that you're going to find and be like, I don't want to know. I want to know what this means. There's all this stuff seated throughout the series that, that matters. So I, I'm really excited for you guys to see it and to start asking the questions that, you know, the hardcore fans are going to be asking. So I really hope you dig it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to. Okay. Well, I have a quick question. Yeah. Is, could Jane's disease be cured with modern medicine? Yes. Her reli- okay. Yeah. Yep. I've seen this. I've seen it in real life. Um, people yeah. that I know that just, you can't pray it away. So I know it's, it's hard. Uh, it's, it's a hard thing to deal with. But yeah. She made this, she made this choice and she's, you know, in her darkest you know, moment, she regrets it. And, <laughs> you know, and she's stuck and then she's, she's the, the only hope for all these people who put their faith in her. So I'm very excited. I really love this character a lot. I'm, I'm, uh, I can't wait for people to see more of her. That sounds up, so fucking exciting. And it's up actually, in Maine, we have shakers and, you know, then there's the Quakers. So like, Oh, spinners. Yeah. Okay. I get it. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's an origin of like why they're named that, that we get, and it get into a little bit at some point. But um, yeah, it's actually the name actually comes from. I had a different name in mind for her, and then I actually made a friend on Twitter uh, named Michaela, whose mother is an alien super fan, and and she's actually recovering from. I can't remember she had surgery or just like a like an, an injury, but she had a pretty severe back issue. That's like a real problem for her. And um, but she loves Alien Man, and she she's this older woman who lived in the UK, and um, and her name is Jane Laird. And, um, I just really love that name. <laughs> so I, and I, and I really was very touched by Michaela and Jane's support for the book. And, um, yeah, so I decided to name, to name this, this heroine after her. So hopefully people dig it. That's awesome. Great Testament. But please connect us with them. If you, if you can fill up at some point. Yeah, well, I'll, to I'll, to I'll tell Michaela. Michaela's the one who is always tweeting. I'll, um, I'll get on there and tell her that, that we discussed it on here. And yeah, um, yeah I'll do that. It'd be great to chat with them. Um, before we close, I, one thing I want to make sure I say, which which meant a lot to me as a fan, was <laughs> you gave Bishop the Superman moment. You know, the first time you came on our show back in, I think, February, you mm-hmm. know, we talked quite a bit about Superman because you're writing that as well. And, you know, I was mentioning I've always had all these, like, you know, hang-ups with that character. He's never meant that much to me. And and he he has ever since you talked to me about him. And oh. one of the things that, that changed it for me was when you you said, you know, he he's the best of us. Like, he, he, he is who, like, at, at his heart, he is who we should strive to be, you know? Uh, and there's something simple and really beautiful about that that it, you don't see in very much popular culture anymore because it, like, 
became uncool at some point. Yeah. But it feels like it's becoming cooler again. Anyway, um, you've also brought up Bishop a number of times. You know, uh, you've been on the show before a couple of times and Bishop has come up a lot. You know, he had that great splash image at the end of episode three, I think, you know, the big reveal. He's all over this book. You know, he's one of the main characters in it. But he, I'm saying all this because there's a moment that really brought tears to my eyes, actually, about three quarters of the way through this issue where Gabriel and Bishop, the, the Bishop that we have in this book, have a moment together. Uh, and, and, um, you know, so Gabriel's begging Bishop to save his son, right? right? And Bishop says, I'll do everything I can. And Gabriel says, I know you always do. And it's this one little moment in this book that just like meant so much to me as somebody else who loves that character and somebody who needed that. Like I needed that little simple expression of love and gratitude for that guy. So thank you for putting it in there. And, uh, and I just wanted to say that. Thanks so much for saying that, man. I, I'm really glad. I really love that character. And I know, I mean, everything that Christian said is true. The way, like the way Lance played him, the fact that he's, he was so, he's so agreeable and kind and everything because he's, he's, he's programmed to be so, you know, like he's, he's, he doesn't have any other choice. And um, I've always kind of struggled against that thought. Like, I hate that. I hate that it's not his choice to be that way. And in, again, in my in my head canon, I tell myself that's not true. <laughs> you know, I understand, you know, it makes sense. And the same thing about Walter, you know, in Covenant, like he's like the 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 best, kindest characters in the in this in the whole franchise are that way because they because they have these limitations that are forced on them, you know. And I but it, like deep down I I kind of re- resist that idea. And I, I just want to believe that they're just just good because they're they because they choose to be, you know. So I, I really I, I love Bishop a lot, and um, I'm glad I could. I mean, again, I, they were telling me I could use any kind of characters I wanted. Like you can use Ripley if you want to. You can use whoever you want to. Maybe not Michael Bean because he's kind of weird about his image being used. But everyone else is totally fine. And I'm like Bishop all the way. Like I knew immediately what I was going to do because I've always loved that character, and um, that was the only the only way forward for me was Bishop. Philip, have you read? There's a, a short story collection called Bug Hunt. It's supposed to be all different colonial marine stories, but one of them is about Bishop. And I always learn so much from you guys. I don't know about that. Oh my god, the, the story. The stories are kind of hit or miss. It's not that. It's not that good. A, a, a disclaimer: the collection's not terrific, but some of them, some of them are really good. The collection is not terrific, but my god, there's there's one about the the uh, the history of the pulse rifle that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool one. Yeah, and there's another one about Bishop about from the moment he's turned on that he's different. He's not just following programming and huh. and he has to fake it because they've got a system it's a it's like a dropout floor if he doesn't answer the question questions correctly right off the bat they just drop him right into the fire and and go on to the next model so he's faking it and it's amazing and it's like a gift i would love to hand that to lance henriksen and say you know here you go this is oh this is God. where you've you've inspired people so i'm gonna buy that tonight no shit i guess okay. i'd love to read it yeah, before I before I let you guys go, so this is totally not about you know literature or anything really beautiful. But it's like they they uh, they just announced a uh, like a Nerf model pulse rifle. Oh yeah, we bought it. <laughs> we ordered that. <laughs> gonna say, what am I gonna do? I, am I gonna get two of these things for hundred fucking dollars? But I guess, I guess I am. Yeah, it's got a digital ammo counter on it, Philip. Yep. Like, how, how are you yep. not oh, gonna get that? It's full that, scale. Actually. It's the like, full size. You can you can spray paint it up. Uh, oh, well, there One it is. Fruit. One for each of my kids. That's what I'm telling them. <laughs> it's not for me. I swear. 
Yeah, I, I sent Christian this uh, screenshot earlier because I, I, I was like, oh, you know, it's like because I, I, I had just bought like five different alien collectibles this week. And I'm like, I need to slow down. <laughs> and then this announcement came out and I was like, fuck. And I sent it to my wife and she was like, you got two of them, right? And I was like, this <laughs> yeah. is why I married you. Thank that, you very yeah. much. That's amazing. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, dude, they're too expensive, but I'm totally going to get them tonight then. Yeah, do it. Do it before they sell out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But they don't charge you until they ship, and they're not shipping till October 2022. October 2022? Yeah. 2022, yeah. That kind of sucks, actually. Huh. It well, does. It's a lot I of anticipation. I, buying, I thought I was buying Christmas presents for my kids. Oh. Right? And I am a year from now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. But now, now, of course, the race is on between the Hulu series and the Pulse <laughs> Rifle. <laughs> yeah, it's like, which is going to get here first? We'll never know, you know? <laughs> Well, thank you, Philip, so much for coming on and being such a, a friend of the show and somebody who has, I mean, I'm, I'm just so thrilled with this fucking comic book and, and I cannot wait to see all these new directions are taking it in. So on behalf of all of us here at Perfect Organism, including Jamie, who was moving so he couldn't be here tonight, but he sends his regards and, and his well wishes. Uh, thank you so much for all you're doing for us and for coming on the show and, and being such a, such a great person in fandom too. Thank you, okay. Philip. You guys too. Thanks for the awesome show and look forward to the next time. Thanks so much. Talk soon. For more on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit perfectorganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.